we, we think the problem is one thing, but it's actually something else. Okay. So it's really helping people get some insight and some understanding to that. So once I understand what it is that's getting in my way, I'm then in a position to address that. And if you think about that, just kind of psychology in general, you know, I, I would say that um, when, when people have a problem, they do one of two things, right? The majority of people, they just simply try to push it out of their mind and get it behind them, okay? So like, let's don't talk about this because it makes me uncomfortable or it bothers me or it upsets me. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a performance psychology consultant who works with athletes and business people, um, people basically who want to compete. He can help you. Uh, he's the director and founding member of the Leadership Resource Center in Atlanta, Georgia. The author of Elite Minds, How Winners Think Differently to Create a Competitive Edge and Maximize Success, available on Amazon and a number of other places. Um, you can also find him at drstanbeecham.com, drstanbeecham.com. It's in the description if you're on the audio version or if the YouTube version, I'm sure it's on the screen. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stan Beecham. Thanks, Jesse. It's good to be with you. Thanks for taking time out of your day. I know um, anytime I talk to consultants i know it's always like meeting 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 like you, your your day is pretty yeah. much packed with things you've got to do people you got to talk to so you know i appreciate taking the, the morning. a lot of zoom calls like everybody else i think <laughs> yes um so given that i guess maybe my first question is is that the main mode of working with you like we get on uh we get on zoom it's like our own private confession. I tell you about all the, the mental problems I'm having, not necessarily uh, like diagnosable psychological problems, but like I'm having a tough time with this and then you help talk me through it or how, how does the process work? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it's a conversation and, and, and generally the people that are reaching out to me, especially athletes, they, they realize that they're not performing to their full potential. Mm -hmm. And they realize that, you know, they're doing pretty much everything or most everything right physically, but there's something that's holding them back. And so then it's really, an, a, you know, a matter of helping them discover what that is and how it manifests. Because usually we, we think the problem is one thing, but it's actually something else. Okay. So it's really helping people get some insight and some understanding to that. So once I understand what it is that's getting in my way, I'm then in a position to address that. And if you think about that, just kind of psychology in general, you know, I, I would say that um, when, when people have a problem, they do one of two things, right? The majority of people, they just simply try to push it out of their mind and get it behind them, okay? So like, let's don't talk about this because it makes me uncomfortable or it bothers me or it upsets me. The, the other approach is, Let's talk about this thing because it's upsetting and it bothers me and it won't, you know, it won't leave me alone. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we have a lot of research on this, right? I mean, starting with Freud over 120 years ago, and we've known for a long time that the way that you deal with your issues and your problems is you walk straight head into them and you go to war with them. And if you take that approach, you'll almost always get some relief or some improvement. At the same time, the problem that you avoid, you don't actually avoid it, right? Because it follows you around wherever you go. And in fact, it actually oftentimes gets worse. So it's really, I mean, everybody has their thing. The question is, how do you respond to it? Do you have kind of a fear response where you move away from it? Or do you have more of a courageous response where you walk straight into the burning building, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so that's the main thing. And I see this as a, when you start thinking about different factors and variables that lead to people be successful or not, I would say this is a huge one, which is basically how do you deal with the things that bother you? Do you confront them head on or do you just try to push it aside and, and avoid it? I don't know if I consciously spend time doing this. I used to have a rule or practice, so to speak, of which, you know, how many things are you going to do every day? But just, I used to have a rule or practice of like, I have to do something that scares me every single day. And sometimes yes. maybe it's just a matter of like a little thing. Like I used mm-hmm. to, um, like many people of my generation, for whatever reason, um, used to have like a lot of anxiety about using the phone, just calling somebody on the phone. Maybe somebody I even already know, especially strangers, but just talking on the phone. It's, there's no, there's no logical sense in it. You know what I mean? Like, the, what's the yeah. worst case scenario? Well, a lot, you know, up? a lot of fear and anxiety is irrational by, right. by nature, right? Right. It, it doesn't make sense. But so is it, do you work through that process of, of taking on uh, those fears instead of pushing them away by working on little ones and working your way up? Or do you just go, this is the big meaty one right here. Let's just, let's just dive straight in. I like to go after the big meaty one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, And go after that. I mean, essentially what, the way I think about it is, is that everyone has fear. Everyone has anxiety. Okay. Different levels, but that's pretty much a given. Mm -hmm. The question is, is do you have courage? In other words, how do you respond to your fear or anxiety? And you have to learn courage. Courage is a, is a skill, is a set of behaviors that is developed through Mm -hmm. practice. Okay. So what I'm suggesting is we're, we all have anxiety or fear, but we don't all have courage. We encourage is not the absence of the fear. Courage is the response to the fear, right? So being courageous, I think it was old John Wayne quote with, you know, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway, right? So what I want people to understand is, is don't expect that you're going to get to a point of time where you have no fear or anxiety in your life. You're, you're always going to have some fear and anxiety in your life. Okay. The, the question is, what is your anecdote for that? And courage and bravery and resolution, that's the antidote. And you can, and you can teach yourself that, or you can learn that from other people, right? In other words, you can get to a point where you may have some anxiety, say, for example, you know, flying, you know, there are people who are anxious about flying and they don't ever fly. There's other people who are anxious about fly, but they fly anyway, you know? I mean, I've worked with a number of athletes have a real fear of flying, but the problem is once you get to the professional level, if you can't get on the plane, you can't compete, right? Mm-hmm. So. Got to learn to deal with it. Um, right. I often compare uh, mental skills to muscles since I think mm-hmm. sometimes, and I'd love your opinion on this, I think people often have a much easier time dealing with like, oh, let's, let's do another rep. Let's do another set. Like the physicality of like, let's work hard, but don't necessarily know how or have the skills to try to work on that mental muscle. So my, I, my question is two part. One, is that an accurate metaphor? And two, does, do mental skills atrophy like muscles do if you don't practice them yeah I, th- I think they do i think you know whatever you do habitually is really important whether it's physical or mental i mean one of the things i want people to really think about or become aware of is just their own thinking so for most of us when we think we're actually having a conversation with ourselves right so you're thinking you generally think in words most of it now, if you're a musician, you might think in terms of sound or music or lyric, right, which would be words. If you're a, um, an, an artist, you might think more in terms of images and structure. But for the average person, when we think what we're actually doing is having a conversation with ourselves, right? And 
which can be really helpful, especially when you find yourself in a place when you're stuck, is just talk out loud to yourself. Okay, so instead of just thinking quietly, say it out loud or even write it down. Those things can be tremendously helpful because it just allows you to kind of like blow it up and see it more clearly. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and I'll do this like when I'll be in the car and I find myself fixated on something that I need to let go. I'll literally say to myself as I'm driving down the road, I go, Stan, of all the things that you could pick to think about right now, isn't it interesting that you pick this one? And all I'm doing is acknowledging to myself that I have some choice as to what I'm focusing my mind on. And if I'm focused on something that's not going to be very productive, I want to give myself the option of leaving that and moving to something else or thinking about that in a different way of, you know, instead of what's wrong with it, if, you know, what's, what's good about it. I think you just you having that shift. Yeah. You mentioned writing those thoughts down. Um, I had seen this suggestion, I don't know, years ago and, and use it from time to time. I think I even talked about it in one of my running videos the other day. Um, there's something, you know, have you seen research on this? Because I haven't looked it up, but just I know personally, there's something about, you know, the physicality of, of like coalescing that thought into to written word that it it distills it so much more accurately than just like yeah allowing the, the fuzzy thought to roam around your brain in this kind of ephemeral space. Like, yeah. I don't know why, which is why I'm curious if you've seen like, like maybe FMRR research or like what's going on with, with that, that connection with writing. Well, when, down, you, but... when you, when you write something down, let's say there's, let's say there's a problem that you're trying to understand or just a topic that you're trying to understand. Mm-hmm. If you write down your thoughts and now you can see them, it really helps you um refine it okay so you think something and then you write it down and then you read it and as you read it you're actually thinking about your own thoughts right which is what metacognition is and and you'll see things differently and you just go back and forth of that process of writing something down and then rewriting it and clarifying it being very specific and careful with the words that you use Mm -hmm. and this is one of the things i find myself when i work with people I, I, I pay very close attention to the words that they use. And I'll sometimes say to them, what would be another word to describe that? Right. Or I'll, I'll say, you know, a person will say to me, I'm afraid of X. And I go, I don't think you're afraid of that. You know, so for example, here's a classic one with athletes, the, the fear of losing. Okay my pat response on that is you're not afraid of losing. You're not afraid of failure. Okay. Then what am I afraid of? You're afraid of the embarrassment and the shame that comes from failure or losing. All right. That's very different. Mm -hmm. So what I'm proposing is there is no fear of failure. There absolutely is a fear of embarrassment, shame, you know, looking bad, you know, losing status, because we have this huge concern, many of us do, of what other people think about us. So imagine getting to the point where you're much more concerned about your own opinion of yourself than other people's opinion of yourself. And for a competitive athlete, that's a huge thing, right? Like the person that you want to be most concerned about letting down is yourself, right? Like do it for yourself. You I mean, do this because it's important to you and you want to do it because it brings great enjoyment or it's just your own process of developing and coming a full and complete person, which I think competition does. You know, I, I talk in a book about what does the word compete mean? And if you take it back to the Latin, it means to seek with, mm-hmm. right? The come part is with and the peak part is seek. And I talk about in the, in the book, you know, Harry Potter, you know, in the Harry Potter movies, when they play this game Quidditch, you know, what, what position does Harry play? He, he's a seeker. Right. which is just another way of saying competitor. So I, I ask the athletes that I work with is, is what is it that you're seeking? In other words, whatever your sport is, running, swimming, triathlon, whatever it is, okay? Think of your sport as your own process of seeking or becoming aware of something. 
in terms of who you are as a person or the person you want to become. Like you use that metaphor, think of your sport and the day-to-day practice as a seeking in the same sense that a Buddhist monk might seek enlightenment, okay? But think about that as you are seeking something and it's not to beat other people, okay? Right. That's that's not it. It's, it's not that, you know, I need to win so I can feel good about myself. That'll never get you there. I mean, this is the thing that, that we're seeing in our society right now where we have people who are succeeding at very high levels, right? I mean, we're, we have more abundance and wealth than we ever have, right? But at the same time, we have more anxiety, depression, suicide, mm-hmm. substance abuse than we ever had. So the winning, the success, the getting more stuff, it's not working. It's not going to make you happier. It will for a minute. You know, it's like I tell people it's like a good meal. You know, imagine, Jesse, you and I, we go to the best restaurant in Kansas City, right? And we just ordered a whole menu and we just slay this thing. And we look across the table and go, oh, my gosh, that was the best meal I ever had, right? Okay. How long is it going to last? In other words, when are we going to be hungry again? You know, at 8, 9 o'clock the next morning, right? So, I mean, it's temporary. And th- this is the truth about around all achievement is you need to understand that it's temporary, you know, winning and getting the trophy. Yeah. It feels good, but for a little while. So the question is, is there, is there something about competition or your sport that can sustain you, you know, past when you jump off the award stand? This is actually something I, I, w- I wanted to ask you about. Um, I, I saw you talk about in a, a video on the Facebook page for the book um, from a while ago. Um, the So first you're talking just a minute ago in our conversation, talking about the hedonic treadmill of, you know, continually more, whether it's material possessions or achievements or whatever, you know, needing more the next level, that always upgrading. Um, and you talked about this a little bit in that, that video I'd watched um, about, like the need for continual self-improvement and never being content. I don't think you had used the word content, but um, so I wanted to talk about or ask you about uh, the, the dichotomy of contentment versus self-improvement. Is it possible to be content, be happy, and also continue to want to self-improve? Or is by nature, the desire to change oneself mean that there is a lack of contentment still present? Well, let me, let me answer it this way. So when you talk sure. about self-improvement, I want you to think in terms of growth. So okay. the question is, would it be normal or healthy for a human being to want to continue to grow and develop? And, and I would say, yes, it is. Now, as a child, your physical body's doing that, whether you want it to or not. When you get into adulthood and now you kind of have the body that you have, you can do things to make that body become the best physical body it can be. And you can also do that with your mind and your spirit and your life in general. What I would suggest is I think it is normal and healthy for us to want to continue to grow and evolve as a, as a being. Okay. And there's a number of things to do that. I say that because when I look at depression, which we have quite a bit in this country, okay, and you really, and I really try to think about what, what do I see going on with people who are depressed? Frequently, what I see is the people who essentially they feel stuck, okay? So one of the things that you'll hear a depressed person say, if you listen closely, is it's kind of like, I'm living the same day, week, month, and year over and over and over again, right? Like, there's this boredom and complacency with my life. You know, there's, there's nothing interesting and exciting about it and joyful about it, right? So there's a sense of being stuck. And so we saw a lot of that during COVID where people were trapped inside and, and two things happened. They didn't feel like they're, they were growing and developing. And the second piece of that is they felt isolated from others. So I believe we as human beings, we are social animals. And if you take a social animal and you isolate that animal, it doesn't do well, right? So this is what happened with COVID, right? Is Mm -hmm. that we got, we we isolated ourselves, some more so than others. And people felt a sense of stuff. Like I got to wait for COVID to be over so for my life to start back again, right? So what I'm saying is, is this combination of feeling like you're in the ditch where you're stuck, where you're not growing, 
where your life is kind of on hold and then losing this sense of connection to other people, which is interesting because leaders and high performing people feel more lonely and isolated than average folks do. And let me repeat that. There's really good science and side, you know, survey data suggests if you are a high performer, if you are a striver, okay, if you're kind of perfectionist and you need to be the best at what you do, there's also a very good chance that you feel detached and disconnected from other people, lonely, right? And that's not a good thing because when you're lonely, it has a number of negative effects. In fact, there's research that says that, that, that being lonely is more detrimental to your health than being obese mm-hmm. or more detrimental to your health than say being a smoker or a heavy drinker. So let me think about that. So what we, what we, what we need to do is we need to live a life where we feel like we're growing and advancing to the next stage right? So we don't feel stagnant. And we need to live a life where we feel a deep connection to at least a handful of people. In other words, they're important to you and you're important to them. Okay. I, I think those are absolutes for us. I think we really need those things. And what's interesting is that sport can do that, right? So, I mean, if, you know, if you're a runner, you know, this is a great chance to continue to challenge yourself physically. And, you know, if you run with other people, you know, those can be some of your more significant relationships. You know, the other thing about exercise that doesn't really get talked about is that, and again, there's really good research on this, is that people who exercise and exercise rigorously as they age, I'm 60, okay, as they, we know that your brain optimizes about age 25 in just terms of the raw mental horsepower that you have. And from 25 down, it's a slow decline. And so what's happening now is we have an aging population and there's all these people trying to sell you different gimmicks of keeping your brain sharp, right? Like doing puzzles and stuff. We don't have any, any, any good data suggesting any of that works. What we do know is that people who exercise and exercise rigorously, that's like the number one thing you can do to, you know, push back, you know, mental fog or decline. Why? Because when you do that, you're getting more blood and more oxygen in your brain. Right. So, so, you know, that's the other piece. I mean, if you want to keep a sharp mind, you know, keep moving physically. So doing that, doing something where you feel like you're advancing and growing and stay connected to other people. Those are really important things. And uh, again, going back to, to the literature on this, you know, for, for the people who are listening to, that are lawyers and doctors, these are the two professions where the highest levels of loneliness are okay, attorneys and doctors. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, competitive athletes and they do that and they're high driving people, but they're isolated all the time. Uh, the other thing is, is that if you're a leader in the company, the more senior, the higher up you go up, you know, towards the CEO, the more isolated you are. So these, these, so when you start thinking about just, you know, quality of life and feeling good and developing and growing, you know, you need two things. You need to do something back to your point about doing something that's scary or challenging, right? You need to do that. And, and I do that personally. I try to do one scary ass thing every year and I'm, I'm getting ready to do mine this year. Later this month, I'm, I'm going over to France and I'm walking for 30 days doing about 470 miles on uh, what's called the Camino de Santiago, which is a network of footpaths that go all over Europe. Um, and so I've done that most years where I go and walk for several weeks and pretty rigorously, you know, 25, 30 kilometers a day. And, um, and it's challenging, but I love it, you know, and it's exhausting, but we need to do those kinds of things. In other words, doing, you know, when people talk about goal setting, most people, what they're really, their goal is, is to not fail. Okay. What I want you to think about is, is setting a goal where there's a pretty good chance that you might fail. Like a 50, 50 would be to me, the ideal goal, right? Um, you know, I got a 50% chance of achieving this and I got a 50% chance of failure. Like those are the kind of goals that wake you up in the morning and get your full attention, you know, versus, well, I've done six marathons. I think I'll do a seventh one. Mm, That's probably not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So we, we need, we need that sense of challenge. And the other thing is when you age, you know, as we, as we age, we still have really good endurance. 
you know, like, you know, people, you know, well into their seventies can, can, can still, you know, cover a lot of miles in a day, whether they're running or walking. So I think those kinds of things are really important. So to answer your question, yes, we need to not be stagnant. We need to be challenged. We need to do things that are difficult. We should take on as much difficulty and challenge as we can tolerate. That's, that's the life you want to live. You don't yeah. want an easy life. Right. Okay. You want as difficult a life as you can manage. Now you're fully alive. And you'll hear people say that, right? That they'll basically say, I wish my life was easier. We, they haven't really thought about it. You don't want your life to be easier. Mm-hmm. You want your life to be as full of challenge and responsibility and difficulty as you can man- manage. That's being fully awake. For a long time, I've said, as a, a personal philosophy, you know, because I, I don't work in a field like you do where I get to see and talk to people and, and really get a sense of their other experiences. The, the greatest sense I had of that is this podcast, talking to people about their experiences. Um, but I've said for myself for a long time, progress is happiness. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you're saying that applies more broadly than just to people like me. I would say happiness is I got what I want. Okay. And unhappy is, is I don't have what I want. Right. So happiness is things are going my way. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of happiness. I think we need to dig much deeper. I I don't think we should pursue happiness. I think we should pursue meaning and purpose. Okay. I, I want you to, I want you to wake up and feel like your life matters which is very different than wanting to be happy. Okay. Right. Because of here's the fact of the matter is things are not going to go your way. And there are going to be times when you're not happy. Mm-hmm. And I, and there's still a reason to go on, even when you're not happy. I, I can tell you, I've had extended periods of my life where I was not happy, but I didn't want to end my life because I still felt like there was something that needed to be done. And so having a sense of meaning and purpose I think is really what we should be pursuing, not, not happiness. Happiness is like the weather, you know, it's fleeting. Right. So how should I, how should I change my phrase? You know, you talked about in the, in the earlier part of this conversation, really paying attention to, you know, people's words. And I, I agree with you that that's why I, I often try to work towards the thought of contentment rather than happiness since happiness mm-hmm. is here and it's gone Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess I'm trying to f- find a pithy way to say that, like, when I'm making progress, that is working on things that I find fulfilling and meaningful, that I'm generally more content. Obviously, that's that's a mouthful. So, like, how how would I truncate that that down to like, if I wanted to put it on a T-shirt and wear it around, yeah. you know, how how yeah. would I how should I phrase that? Well, let, let me. Let me try to help you say it, and then maybe the two of us together can figure it out. Okay. Here's what I've noticed in my life, okay? My best days. Here are my best days. I get up, and I have a lot to do, right? And I go from one meeting, one appointment to the next, right? And it's pretty full, you know? And I find five minutes somewhere in there to, you know, shove something in my mouth and keep going, right? And, and I'm so busy, like, doing what I'm doing with you right now. I don't think about Stan Beecham. I don't even consider him. He's a total non-issue all day long. It's these activities and these things that I'm doing, but I think they're important. And then five or six or seven o'clock comes, right? And I take a breath and then I go, oh yeah, there's a Stan Beecham guy. How's he doing? And for the first time I think about me, like, how am I doing? Like, those are my best days, okay? Where I don't think about me. My worst days. I wake up, there's not a lot going on. I start thinking about my life. Well, have I done enough? I should do more. What about all the things I haven't done yet, right? I need to be more successful. I need to be more of this. I need to, you know, make more money and go buy that, whatever it is. And so I spend my whole day thinking about what I need to do or haven't done yet or how I'm not enough. In other words, when I think about myself and my life, that generally is not a good sign. And, and I think that's true for most people is that uh, you're at your best when you're doing things that are important and of value and sitting around thinking about your own self-esteem and all that, right? 
it doesn't happen. I mean, I think about like our grandparents and our great grandparents, you know, there was no self-esteem movement, you know, think the terrible experiment in the seventies, you know, where we told kids that they're all special. Mm -hmm. Right. And we believe that if we just raise their self-esteem, they would somehow do better. And then we found out that was a miserable failure that the, that the kid who's unhappy because he can't ride his bike and all of his friends can, there's only one thing that's going to solve that. And that's that kid has to learn to ride the bike. Okay. Or the kid who can't read and feels really bad. Tell them that kid, Oh, you're okay. You're special. It's going to be okay. Doesn't work because the kid knows you're full of shit. Right. What you got to do is teach the kid to read. Right. And this is, this is how our grandparents grew up is nobody asked them how they were feeling. What they're saying is, what are you doing? Did you do your homework? You know, did you play nice with the other children? Right. Were you respectful to your elders? You know, you know, did you keep your promises? Like that was the focus. The focus is on what you did, not how you feel. And, and what's happened is, is we've shifted the focus to how do you feel, honey? And what I'm saying is we really need to think about what do you, like, if, like, if you don't like your life and you're unhappy, don't get fixated on your emotional state. Think about what you're doing. Like, what are the, the tasks of your day? You know, maybe you need to find more meaningful work. You know, maybe you need to find some more people to care about. So, so, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with, with, you know, like elite distance runners and I'm working with a few right now, you know, the thing I, you know, imagine you're the top, you know, 10, 15 in the U S right. Whatever your event is, mm -hmm. you know, I, I talk about looking for seconds and inches, right. Right. Like that's how you're going to get better. It's a second at a time. You know, there's a point in your career where you're looking for minutes and miles, but when you get you know, at the elite level, you're looking for seconds, right? I mean, I've got an athlete I'm working with and she just missed an American record by one second. Mm -hmm. You know, she broke an American record and a couple of weeks later, she missed one by one second. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like you're, 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 you're going to find that second because that's how you're living your life. So several things. You give a lot. There's a lot. There's always a lot to try to unpack here. Um, you talk about, you know, your happiest days are basically when you're you're busy. You forget about staying, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to me. I don't know whether we want to go Freudian language to say it's, it's a lack of ego, a lack of sense of self, or whether it's we want to say we want to go with uh, the Buddhists and be it's mindfulness. It's being present in right. the moment. But it, it does seem like, as you described it, Stan stops existing. It's a dissolution of self for yes. at least a period of yeah. time, and yeah. you become present. Is that, a, and that is an accurate way to describe that situation? Yes, and I'm trying to think about your T-shirt, because I think there's a T-shirt here. And, and so the things that come to mind is, is that you're not important. What you do is important, okay? But, like, get, get over yourself. You're not important. Let yourself... Quit trying to be so important as a person, but that's different than the work that you do and how mm -hmm. you treat people. Like, let that be important. Right. So that's one of the things I tell, I tell athletes, you know, like the runners I'm working with right now is, you know, take running seriously, take your training seriously, take your diet seriously. Don't take yourself seriously, but take your sport seriously. You know, like take your relationship seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. Take your work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. That's the secret. And to your point, that it, that is a that is a kind of an ego dissolution, right? I mean, to think about that, can my life be an important? Can my life be really important without me being important? And the answer is yes. And you should pursue that. It almost seems like what you're advocating is basically uh not quite so you said it's 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 somewhat anathema to many of the things that i think our culture suggests that we do and focus on about who we are i, I think you touched on this in that video i watched talking about the story of, that we tell ourselves about who we are mm -hmm. and it seems like you're pointing towards the idea of a lack of a sense of self but rather uh, a, a movement towards action and uh, action and presence 
mm -hmm. rather than storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm saying the doing, the doing, the behavior is really important, right? I mean, when you, th you think about certain things, they, we refer to it as a practice. If you're a doctor, you practice medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, if you participate in yoga, you practice yoga. You know, what does it mean to have a practice? Well, there's meditation as a practice. So the practice is the repetitive doing of something over and over again. And there's real value in that. You can, if you're an avid runner, you could think of your running as a practice. You know, when I go on these long walks, I think of it as a as an extended meditation. Because when I walk, uh, I'm either by myself, but if I'm, I'm on a trip with other people, I don't walk with them. Like if you and I were walking, I wouldn't be walking beside you, talking to you. You know, you would be, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 yards in front of me or vice versa. You know, and I would say to you, hey, look, Jesse, I'm glad to be here with you, but I'm not going to, you know, just have mundane conversation all day. Let's, let's both be quiet for two hours. And then when we take a stop up here, you know, we can share about, you know, something that we had some insight into. So. So let's let's say let's work through this. So let's say I am entirely focused on myself and how I feel. I'm not doing anything. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm at home all day or maybe I have a job, but I'm not really engaged in it. How do I go from there to uh, what you're prescribing as a more like fulfilling life? Like, wh what are my steps? Wh what's my first action to, to get out of that kind of doldrum? Well, generally when people are in that mindset, they feel like they need to become more successful or more important. And what I'm saying is don't take that path. Take the path of I need to do something that's meaningful and relevant. And, and generally that has to do with other people, not yourself. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a classic experiment where they look at Western people versus, you know, non-Westerners, right? People who don't live in, in really the U.S., but I think they expanded to North America. But the question is, is if you could do one thing to make yourself happy, what would you do? Okay. Americans generally answer that question. Well, you know, I, I go buy myself a new pair of running shoes or I go buy myself something or I would, you know, I do, you know, I'd, some purchase or mm -hmm. some experience, you know, I, I go to Hawaii because I've never been to Hawaii kind of thing, right? They would do that. That's the Western response. The other response is, is that I would do something for another person. Okay. I would, you know, cook a meal and take it to a friend. And what I'm saying is, is put those kinds of activities into your day-to-day -day lifestyle. If you want to live a fulfilled life, like I cook a lot, you know, and so when I make soup, I make it three gallons at a time and I jar it up and I have, you know, people like my parents and other friends and I take them soup. Now they enjoy the soup, but I also understand I need to do that. Okay. I need to feed more people than myself because when I do that, then I feel like I'm at my best, you know, or the next time you're in the grocery store and you, you know, you, you see a, a mom there with, you know, three or four small kids and she looks like she's struggling, pay for her groceries. Okay. It's going to cost you a hundred bucks, but you can swing it, but do it. And don't tell anybody that you did it. Mm -hmm. Just do it. Right. And, and, and remember when she looks you in the eye and says, thank you. Remember that expression on her face, like, hold on to that. Because she's going to remember that. And you need to remember that. And so it's doing those kinds of things. But I think we, again, we spend way too much energy trying to pursue our own success and trying to make our lives better. And I'm saying that's only going to take you so far. You know, I, I know of a number of people who've enjoyed being a coach much more than they enjoyed being an athlete, right? I've had the joy of working with some really good coaches and they're great coaches, but they were just pretty good athletes, you know? Uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but, but it is related. Your, your thought about, you know, the idea of helping other people helps yourself reminds mm -hmm. me of a question one of my 
psychology professors had uh, in undergrad. And it's the idea of does altruism exist? Because, because of that effect, right? When you help other people, you help yourself. So is it possible that altruism exists at all? Um, and then my follow-up to that would be, does it matter? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Anne Rand, right? That was her whole thing, is that she thought that there was no altruism. Right, right. right. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to think about. And what I would say is, is do you believe fundamentally that you're connected to others or do you believe that you're isolated and separated from others? Okay. Like when you, when, when people generally kind of go down more of a spirituality route, they come to this belief that we're kind of all one organism, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of like, you know, um, you know, these, these uh, large areas where the aspen trees are, right? And they used to believe that they were, you know, thousands of separate trees. And they realized, that, you know, in these aspen groves, that the, the roots connect and it's all actually one root system. Mm -hmm. So they went from thinking that the aspens were individual trees to now it's one organism. And I would say, if you think of yourself as an individual tree, how does that impact you? Versus if you think of yourself as one piece of this larger organism called humanity. And you could, and you look, you can argue that either way, you know, you can, and now you can get into the God argument, right? So right. there's no, there's no right or wrong answer. But what I want people to think about is, is that whatever you hold is true, like whatever you believe, then that's your truth. And there's no doubt. And everybody knows this, that you run into people who have a belief system that's harming them. Mm -hmm. right? Like there are people who believe things that is harmful to them. Like if I believe that my life doesn't matter and my belief, my belief is that nobody else's life matters, then it's easy to kill myself or kill other people because it's all insignificant anyway. Mm -hmm. So you do have a belief system about yourself and how you are connected or not connected to other people. The, the question is, is what is the impact that that belief system is having on you? And so some of us have a belief system that's detrimental to ourselves and you, you, you get to have it that way. I mean, nobody can make you believe anything that you don't want to believe, but it's interesting to me that people hold on to beliefs that are destructive to themselves. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I think about the idea, I actually, um, I'm trying to remember which guest we I made the suggestion of humanity as a superorganism. You know, thinking mm -hmm. about the idea of us as an aspen grow, right? As an aspen grow, and I, although I tend towards that idea, I also sometimes shy away from it, maybe because of you know the incidents of as you're mentioning, like people holding beliefs that are harmful to themselves that maybe negatively affect me. I have so I have difficulty digesting both the idea of uh, being interconnected with all of humanity and not being swayed or affected negatively by those sometimes harmful beliefs that other people hold. Mm -hmm. um, would you have a suggestion for me? I guess. Well. I, I think the number one is be really clear and intentional about what it is that you believe and, and be honest with yourself about how is your belief system affecting your life. Mm -hmm. And if you have a belief that's causing you harm, I would suggest you take a look at it. It's possible that you're wrong. I would say that we all are wrong about something. And what I mean by wrong, I mean, is you're holding on something that's damaging you. Mm -hmm. Okay, if, if you grabbed a hold of a pot and the pot was burning hot, you would turn loose of it quickly, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. But if you were hanging on to that, I might say to you, your life would probably be better if you turn loose of that hot thing because your hand is really severely burned now. And the longer you hold on to it, the worse it's going to be. But yet it's interesting that, that you know human beings don't like admitting that they're wrong. 
but I would say we're probably all wrong about something, mm -hmm. right? And so we, we know this. I mean, when you look at the psychology of success, we know that people will put much more energy into avoiding a failure than they will in pursuing a success. This is really interesting. I mean, this is, we know this to be true about our species, okay? And so you can see it, in, for example, with how people invest money, okay? Mm -hmm. So we have really good historical data about investments and what you should expect. But there are people who've, who've amassed a pretty substantial amount of money, but they won't invest it because they're afraid they're going to lose it all, mm -hmm. right? And so they leave it in cash or CDs or those kinds of things because they're, they're afraid of losing their money. Mm -hmm. And so they don't lose their money, but they don't grow their money the way that someone who invests wisely. And so I've worked a lot with financial advisors and financial services company. And, and this is what we know is that when you hire someone to do this and make this decision objectively, you do much better, right? Your, your investment uh, output is significantly better because you're hiring someone who's going to make investments based upon objective data, not your own emotions or your own fear of losing your money, right? That's the number one reason you know, why you should hire somebody like that is that you're not going to do it yourself. You're going to be afraid mm -hmm. and you're going to actually not take enough risk, which means you won't grow your money at the rate that you could because you're afraid of losing it. So, yeah, so we know that, that we are much more interested in avoiding failure than we are pursuing success with our belief system. We're much, we're way too concerned about being wrong and we're not willing to change our mind. And I ask people this all the time that I work with. It's like, when was the last time you made a significant change in terms of around something that you believe or held as true, right? Like give me something that you've done in the last, give me a, give me an example of something that you've done in the last year where you significantly changed your mind on something, maybe on diet, you know, mm -hmm. of what you eat or, you know, maybe, in, you know, your, your work or relationships. Like if you're not making significant shifts on that, then you're probably stuck, you know, but we know this, but people don't, right? So the average American, you know, whatever religious beliefs you had as a kid, you have as a 60 year old, mm -hmm. you know, whatever political social beliefs that you had as a teenager, you have as a 60 year old. Like people don't change their minds mm -hmm. because they don't want to admit that they're wrong. And what I'm saying is start there, admit that you're wrong about something, but you don't know what it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then take off. Dr. Stan, uh, I don't want to run you out of time. Um, so I have a question that I ask each season. I have a singular question. I ask every single guest. Okay. Um, so hopefully this is a, a good place for us to end. Uh, I hope I get it right. <laughs> at, well, as you mentioned, it's not going to be like what's the square root of something, is it? Yeah, no, we're not doing we're not okay. doing math questions. Okay. No. All right. Good. Uh, th this one should hopefully be in your wheelhouse, and maybe you'll tell me why this is a, a good or bad question. But the question this season is um, because I don't think people do this enough. Uh, it was suggested to me by a, an entrepreneur friend: is how do you celebrate your wins? Um, so yesterday I had a colonoscopy and I got good news. So I celebrated by having dinner with some family and friends and I celebrated by giving a gift to a stranger. I guess the follow-up is, is that a good question to ask people? Yeah, I think it's a perfect. Perfectly fine question. I mean, we, we, we should celebrate our wins. And at the same time, we should learn from our failures. Look, here's, here's the problem, Jesse, is we think of success and failure as two separate things. Mm -hmm. I want you to think of it as one thing. It's two sides to the same coin. Okay. So when you have a success or you have a win, what that outcome is telling you is keep doing that the way you're doing, like that's working for you. Okay. So as a runner, if you run a PR, let that win, let that PR say your training regimen is working for you. Like you, your, your, your own point, go forward. At the same time, if you 
experience a loss or a failure, all that is saying is, is that's not working. We need to make a shift. But they're both useful information. So knowing to stay on the path I'm on, that's useful information. To know that I need to change paths, that's useful information. So it's not that one's good and one's bad. You follow? The problem is, is we see our failures or our losses as bad things. If you see it as you, this is a lesson you haven't learned yet, right? And if you keep staying on that path, you're going to have more failure, right? So yes, you celebrate your win, but you also understand that the wind is telling you that you're on the right path. Stay forward with that, right? And, and, you, and you, you should acknowledge these little things. I mean, one of the things that I'm really trying to appreciate is just the, the simple joys of life, you know? I mean, to have, you know, to sit at a table with people that you love, like that should be a big deal. Like, let that be a big deal, mm-hmm. you know, to, uh, you know, maybe you get an email from someone who's listening to this conversation. They say, hey, Jesse, you know, your conversation with Stan was really helpful for me. That's great. I mean, that's the reason why I'm giving you an hour of my time mm-hmm. is if one or two people, it really helped them, you know, get out of the ditch or pursue another path, then it's worth an hour of my time, even if I never meet the person. Right. right. And, and I know that and I'm willing to do that. And, and obviously you are, too. Yeah. And that's that, I mean, that is part of the hope is even though, you know, not not like a, the biggest podcast on the planet by any stretch is that, you know, you make some kind of impact to somebody and help them. And that's why I love to talk to people like you. Um, Dr. Stan, uh, we mentioned it at the top of the podcast, but again, uh, where can people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch, pick with a book, all those kind of things. Yeah. uh, Just, you know, drstanbeecham.com is a website. You can track me down. You can email me, call me from there, but um, yeah. Sounds good. Stan, thanks for hanging out with me today. Yeah. Thanks, Jesse. I really enjoyed it.